Hello, humans. Hello, hello, humans of the Twin Cities, of Minnesota, of the world. This is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Hello. Happy Monday to you. We have an incredible show, and you remember that this show is about idealism and idealists. We have a very, very great show. I'm devoting most of it to understanding a local piece of historical trauma and the students who want to bring that trauma to light. I'm speaking about the destruction of the Rondo neighborhood in St. Paul, something that happened in the late 1950s and into the late 1960s. Um, After this block, we're going to have students from the High School for the Recording Arts, two great students um, who are going to talk about a documentary that they've made uh, about the destruction of the Rondo neighborhood. It's a documentary that is earning high praise in many different places. They've been showing it at various film festivals. And so um, I think it's going to be well, it's, I, I know it's going to be a fantastic interview with some idealists, and I, you're going to be incredibly touched. But to begin with, I want to talk about President Dwight Eisenhower, and I want to take you back to the 1950s. It was the time of the Cold War. There was great fear about yet another world war, and among the ways that this country prepared was for President Eisenhower to push for creation of an interstate highway system, with the idea being that a system of highways across America could speed the movement of troops and supplies in times of national emergency. From a personal perspective, as a kid, I actually understood the interstate highway systems to a certain degree. I was living in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, um, but I had grandparents in northern New Jersey. And Interstate 80, um, parts of it at least, existed. And uh, from where I lived to where my grandparents lived, it was a fairly straight line across what would be Interstate 80. Um, I took many trips to go visit my grandparents in New Jersey, and those trips ran relatively smoothly until we got to western Pennsylvania, um, where uh, they were still building the interstate. And uh, what Ordinarily is a six-hour trip across Pennsylvania would turn into a 10- or 11-hour trip because of the need to divert, take detours onto two-lane roadways. So I fairly well understood the thing about interstates and how they made things simpler. Um, However, what I did not understand at all was how when you build an interstate highway, in order to create something – You have to destroy something very often. Either it's nature or it's another highway. You have to expand it and make it bigger. Or in the case of the Rondo neighborhood, St. Paul, it's about destroying it. Now, many of you hearing my voice right now know something about Rondo. Um, Most of you will know that... um, in the by the mid 1950s, Rondo, the Rondo neighborhood, was predominantly populated by people of colors, other than the white color. Um, it was a thriving area of family homes and businesses. Um, it was a place in um, a white color world where people of other colors than white had the opportunity to create a community, a sense of togetherness, and a large degree of financial success. You may recall this was not just unusual this was not unusual because you may recall that several months ago I did at least two shows about the Tulsa race riots of 1921 and how in Tulsa in the late in late 19 teens and the early 1920s part of 36 blocks of Tulsa was considered the Black Wall Street of America because of how successful um, black color owned businesses were were Um, doing in Tulsa. Same concept, same idea for Rondo. And when the planning for I-94 took place, the designers of the system had a choice. They could have followed the route of abandoned abandoned railroad tracks that went to the north and curved around. Um, And in doing that, they would have avoided much of the St. Paul Corps community district. But instead... 
the planners of I-94 chose a much more direct, straight line between Minneapolis and St. Paul, which meant obliterating much of the Rondo neighborhood. There were other neighborhoods chewed up, but it was the impact on the Rondo neighborhood, which was predominantly black color um, and which was a thriving community, as I've already said. And, and remember, the Twin Cities has a long history of segregation, a long history of racism. I know that many – some of you hearing that are going to be like, Ellie, I don't agree with that, but I'm just here to tell you, okay? And what Rondo was, it constituted a safe place for people of color other than white, for them to be, for them to have community. And so when they built I-94, they took none of that into account. That is called systemic racism. They took none of that into account because they wouldn't have even considered it. It wasn't even on their thought process. It wasn't even part of that because white color people who ran this whole project had no idea of what it meant to want, to need, to have a community where everyone on the street was the same color as you and where the businesses that you went to were owned by people of the same color as you, which would show you for example's sake, of what people of color like you are capable of doing. You know, and back in the late 1950s and early and early to mid-1960s, what, what happened with I-94, many called progress. Uh, many called urban rev- revitalization. Today in 2019, we do call that systemic racism, where systems operate without any consideration to the impact on groups of people because those systems don't value people other than people of white color. In a moment, you're going to hear from students who created a film project to demonstrate the impact of I-94, the trauma, what's also known as historical trauma, because that's something that people carry. You're going to hear from uh, these uh, students that I'm going to interview in a second about how they had always heard about Rondo, about how it was something that they carried, that their parents talked about. And you're going to hear um, with, with historical trauma, it is something that people have at the back of their mind as they go forward in the world. You know, and it's, um, and it's about the concept of fairness or unfairness. Historical trauma teaches you that the world is unfair, that you're always at risk of being singled out, that you're always at the risk of losing something because you are simply just who you are. Now, when the Green Line was under consideration running along um, University Avenue and the Green Line paralleled and then ran into part what formerly was Rondo and still is parts considered Rondo, there were concerns about how the Green Line would allow for history to repeat itself. In response, Melvin Carter Um, who at that time was a civilian, and others ran for the St. Paul City Council to influence the Green Line project. As a result of community involvement, so this is now pushing back against institutional racism, a number of stops were added to the Green Line to serve lower-income neighborhoods. So that is proof that the system can respond. As a state, Minnesota is now recognizing what was done to Rondo was wrong. In 2016, um, uh, Charles Zelli, the Minnesota Department of Transportation Commissioner and St. Paul Mayor Chris Coleman together formally apologized for how the interstate routing through the Rondo neighborhood, how they apologized for that decision having been made. Well, simply an apology, it was an important acknowledgement of how a white color system had wronged an entire community of black color humans. That acknowledgement and apology could be an important precedent for the future. When we come back from our break, I'm going to interview the students from the High School for Recording Arts and uh, their mentor. I think you're going to find it a fascinating interview. and, um, And that's what this show is about. It's about challenging you and spurring you onto change. Thank you. We'll be back in a second. 
Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Hi, this is Paul Metza inviting all of you out there in AM950 land to listen to my radio show, The Wall of Power of Radio Hour, every weekend on AM950. We feature musicians, actors, politicians, homicide cops, record stores, Metza documentaries. We've even had Bob Dylan's first drummer on Saturday nights at 6 p.m. We play it Sunday at 4 p.m. You can also follow it at paulmetza.com. The Wall of Power Radio Hour. Cool people from all walks of life in all 50 states. Minnesota is the home of heroes. Dock and Lift in Spring Park recognizes all of our local military members. A world of thanks to those who serve and their families for securing peace and prosperity for our country. Freedom rings because of your great sacrifice. Brave hearts who continue to lay down their own lives to protect and defend ours. Dock and Lift in Spring Park. We love our freedom, so we support our troops. We live in the land of the free, thanks to the brave. No matter what your taste, you'll find the music you're looking for at the Electric Fetus. Pick from rock, pop, international, roots music, and so much more on CD and vinyl. Or create your own compilation of favorites with the exclusive Mix and Burn CD station. Only available at the Electric Fetus. Dust off your vinyl or just make some space by turning your unwanted music into cash. The used selection changes daily, so check out the new arrivals often. 2000 4th Avenue South in Minneapolis and online at efetus.com. Being a dog is awesome, except when you really got to go, but you're stuck inside. That's why I had my human call the Urban Dog. Daily walks, field trips, play groups, one-on-one time, safe off-leash play, and pet sitting. I love being an Urban Dog. The Urban Dog works with your schedule and can create a plan that fits your needs. The Urban Dog. Exercise, explore, socialize. Let the journey begin. Call 651-231-6333. That's 651-231-6333. Woo, woo, woo. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. And we're back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. Well, all right, so I've, I've got the stage set. Uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, Rondo and uh, what the government did, what other people did. And now I'm here with great pleasure to speak to a couple of students and an instructor from the High School for Recording Arts who were involved in creating that documentary that I spoke with you about. And so, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. I have Jasmine McBride here. Hello, Jasmine. Welcome. Hello. I've got Angelo Bush here. What's up? Welcome. And I have Scott Harold. Hello. Thank you for having us. Oh, I am thrilled to have you here. And welcome to LE 2.0 because um, this is about – the show, as I said off air, is about idealism. And um, I think I've got – Without any question, three idealists here in the studio with me, and I never get this many idealists ever together with me, so welcome. All right, so I wanted to talk with you about this incredible film uh, that you made, and um, you need to give me the title of the film again, please. Rondo Beyond the Pavement. Rondo Beyond the Pavement, right. And so the very first question I have uh, is, how did the film come about? And and what you know? What involvement did you have? And Scott, of course, please uh, fill in as you need to. But I really want to hear from Angelo and Jasmine Absolutely. as much as possible. Me too. The film was, hmm, it was more spontaneous, I guess. Um, you know, we go to an art school, or I went to an art school. Um, so they kind of pitched the idea to us, or gave us the opportunity that there was this program over the increment of. 
Okay, basically they brought an idea of you'll make a thousand dollars if you create this video project and you know we all wanted money and <laughs> we kind okay. of went for it. Um is but, this a thousand dollars each or a thousand dollars split like multiple ways? No, like a thousand dollars each. So, Whoa! Okay. Yeah, we didn't know when we were getting it or how, but we were just all like, "Yeah, we're gonna do it." So um, that's what drew me into that, and also just like being paid to be creative, like that's kind of a dream for a lot of us. So that was another thing that was like, "What? We're making a thousand dollars to just film and stuff." So <laughs> we're making a thousand dollars to do what I'm passionate about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. right. Okay. Okay. And so, uh, Angelo, um, did you and Jasmine work start out together? Yeah, we were actually uh, in a group, little camera group together, shooting B-roll and such, and uh, doing interviews. Okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, um, uh, and and Scott, just help me give us a little bit more color about sure. how this all got started. Absolutely. So, um, at High School for Recording Arts, uh, you know, we are a charter school in High in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. We serve roughly. 300 students per semester. Uh, most of our students have been pushed out, kicked out, dropped out of other uh, of high school systems. Um, they come to high school for recording arts and they flourish. And, and really, I think the, the real lure into our school is our state-of-the-art recording studios and production facilities. So if you're keeping up with your high school curriculum, you get to work on cool film projects and make music that gets released on the student record label, etc. So an organization called St. Paul Almanac uh, reached out to me via Facebook, a, a young filmmaker named Catherine DeSell, and she said, I think you might be able to help us with this project. She pitched the idea to me, told me the students would be making money, and we love community partnerships at the school. We love working with other organizations in a multi-generational setting, in a vocational setting, but also something like a film like this that can teach students about their community, get them involved in the community, and help them earn um, some credit towards graduation. So St. Paul Almanac brought the idea to me, I took it back to the students. I said, what do you think? They're going to pay you. They're going to feed you. This could be awesome. And uh, the students were really enthusiastic and wanted to get involved. How many students did we have on the project? I would say, okay, so the commitment aspect in the beginning, we in the beginning we had about, I would say, 20, 15. But through the period of the time, some people continued, some people stopped. You know how life happens. But it was... It was complicated. Okay. Well, as with anything else. I would say about 15. Yeah, yeah 15 to 16, yeah. Okay. All right. And, um, uh, and, and, and some of it was – so Catherine brought it to you and she said, this is what we're thinking of. Yeah. And then left it up to you to figure out and flesh it out? No, we worked with uh, – we continued to work through the entire project with St. Paul Almanac. They were fantastic to our students. Also, St. Paul Neighborhood Network, SPNN, uh, a filmmaker over there named Bianca Rhodes, who is an Emmy Award-winning filmmaker. They really took our students in and mentored them through the process. Um, you know, I helped to facilitate from the HSRA in, making sure we had students, making sure right. that we had, uh, you know, access to, to, to different resources from the school. But they really took our students in and really taught them to make this film, but also really put them in incredible leadership roles where, you know, you know, at some high schools, you don't, some high schools aren't okay with handing a student a $5,000 camera. Exactly. I mean, you know, and that's, that's what we did with this. I mean, we gave the trust to the, to the students to make the film, you know. Okay. Well, that's a pretty cool thing if you (laughs) ask me. So, um, so Angelo, tell me a little bit about you. I mean, did you are do you grow up did you grow up in St. Paul? Or you live in St. Paul now? Or do you live in what would have been the Rondo neighborhood or in Rondo? I mean, Rondo still exists to a certain degree. Well, I have ancestors from Rondo. I grew up in Brooklyn Park. Okay. I spend a lot of time in uh, St. Paul and Minneapolis. Okay. Did you have family members that were displaced by the I-94 construction? Uh yeah, I think um from my dad's side few aunts but okay all right how about you jasmine so i grew up in the rondo community um i lived well i was born in minneapolis but we moved over onto the selby and dale area and then i moved over into like the western and marshall area so i would always walk you know i just lived in the midst of it but totally unconscious of the idea that that's why the highway was there but um, it was definitely interesting growing up in a community 
where there were a lot of black people, but, you know, there were communities, like, pockets of black communities that weren't really, they didn't really, like, get along or just, like, hang out. So it was very separated. It was more like, these are my friends because I stay in the Rondo area and not, like, hey, this is St. Paul. I have many friends over St. Paul. I got it. So one of the things that I thought was powerful about the documentary, and in a second we're going to need to take a break, but um, was the was the concept of of the people that you interviewed. It was, I mean, it's a it's a it's a film brought to life mm-hmm. by still pictures for the most part and interviews with humans, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, who were survivors. I mean, yes. I think that that's the right phrase: survivors of this trauma. systemic trauma, you know, historical trauma. You know, and what I what I really took away from that was that this was a thriving neighborhood mm-hmm. in many ways before this happened, and then you had a bunch of white color white color people who decided, without even giving any consideration really to how the community was going to be devastated, mm-hmm. just decided to take it out. And so, what I thought was great about the interviews is you had people talking about what they had lost. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think it's very interesting. A lot of the elders um, that we talked to, they didn't um, – I don't feel like they really thought anybody was interested in the topic. So I feel like there has always been people that have wanted to talk about it, but they were just never given the voice to really be heard about it. So that's what I really liked about this experience because it was just like, wow. like you know. And then on my side of the spectrum, to even know to ask these types of questions, I feel like that's a fault too. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so obviously you're learning about history as you were doing this project. And um, all right. Well, listen, when we come back from our break, um, I will – I want to talk with you further and get more yes. about the project. And then I want to talk about being idealist. So <laughs> I very much so because obviously that's what the show is about. So all right. Well, we've been speaking with Angelo Bush and Jasmine McBride and Scott Harold from the High School for the Recording Arts talking about um, their project, uh, this Rondo Beyond the Pavement documentary film. And when we come back from our break, I'll talk with them further. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you like, as listeners, if you like the show, um, obviously, please go to elliekrug.com, check out my website, or email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. This is Chad, owner of AM950, here to tell you about Snap Construction. They're experts in roofing, siding, window, and insurance restoration. They have energy-efficient products available for both residential and commercial properties. This spring, when we needed a company to take a look at a problem with our roof, I called the company I knew I could trust, Snap Construction. I've known Ryan, the owner at Snap Construction, for years, so I knew I could trust him. Don't just take my word for it. Check out their reviews online. They are arguably the most well-reviewed exterior contractor online in the metro area. Over the years, Ryan has always said the same thing to me about his work. If we build it, shouldn't we be held accountable for the work indefinitely? He backed that statement up years ago when Snap Construction was a pioneer in offering a lifetime craftsmanship guarantee on all their work. For a free estimate or general questions, call the locally owned company AM950 Trusts Snap Construction at 612-333-SNAP. That's 612-333-SNAP, or find them online at snapconstruction.com. They have financing options available. Crooner's Lounge and Supper Club is delighted to offer its spacious facilities for your private function. From weddings, retirement parties, business dinners, or any special occasion, Crooner's combines a dedicated, full-service special events team, an award-winning chef, and a beautiful lakeside ambiance to make your event a resounding success. Visit croonersloungemn.com to learn more about their private dining options, or call 763-571-9020 to get a quote for your next event today. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Catch New Beginnings with Freddie Bell, Saturdays at 11 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. 
Hi, it's Tom Hartman. You know, Continental Diamond is special for a lot of reasons. The owners are Jimmy and Helene Pessis, a husband and wife team who had a dream to open their own store more than 30 years ago. They built a business that is the gold standard. The readers of Minnesota Bride Magazine have named Continental Diamond the best jeweler for the last seven years. Why? Amazing, friendly, no-pressure customer service, a selection of fine diamonds and design jewelry unlike anywhere else, and the fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies are pretty great, too. Continental Diamond in St. Louis Park and at ContinentalDiamond.com. Dad, don't you have a delusional My Dad is Radio host Matt McNeil opening line for this ad? I'll let you speak from your heart this time, son. Sure. I drive a Rudy Luther Toyota Sienna. It handles great, even during nasty weather, and it carries all my stuff. I play baseball, and the Sienna has room for half the team and all our gear. The Sienna is great. Having another driver in the family is a stress reliever, but knowing he's driving himself, his sisters, and his friends in a reliable and safe Toyota Sienna is peace of mind. Thanks, Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. With your AM950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Today is mostly cloudy with a high near 53. Tonight's still cloudy with a low around 38. Tomorrow, cloudy with a high near 49. Wednesday, mostly cloudy with a high near 54. And Thursday, mostly cloudy with a high near 55. The Minneapolis Farmer's Market is here. The Lindale location opens April 27th. The Nicollet Mall location opens May 2nd. And the Government Center opens May 7th. As the weather gets warmer, we'll start to see fresh produce. More information at mplsfarmersmarket.com. And we're back on AM 950 LD 2.0 Radio. Okay, we've been speaking with Angelo Bush and uh, Jasmine McBride and Scott Harold from the High School for the Recording Arts. Jasmine told me offline she graduated last year, so you're out, out of the school. Angelo, you are a junior at the school. Mm-hmm. And Scott, you are an advisor um, to the group working, yeah. with, uh, wor- working with these kids. And by the way, the High School for the Recording Arts sounds like a rock star um, pun intended, uh, kind of place. <laughs> but we've been speaking about their uh, documentary that they made, Rondo Beyond uh, the Pavement. And Scott Offair, you had told me this this uh, documentary has been shown at a couple of film festivals already and it's continuing yeah. a run. So yes. can you share that, please? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, when we got into making this film, I think, you know, I, I kind of knew it was it was going to be a big deal. I don't, I don't know if our students really imagined how big this was going to be. And I don't think really any of us thought, wow, we've really, you know, we've got lightning in a bottle here, which is, which is so hard to create. Um, but, you know, based on the initial reception of the film, we started working with some students at High School for Recording Arts to submit to film festivals around the world. And it has been accepted into five different film festivals and shown there, including the uh, South by Southwest EDU, which was incredible, Multicultural International Film Festival in California. And it just uh, won its first set of laurels at the Indie Short Film Festival in Los Angeles. And it will also show in Los Angeles at that same film festival in May. So super cool. And we're expecting more film festivals and more awards. Well, and the film is Rondo Beyond the Pavement. And Angelo and Jasmine, uh, two uh, students who've worked on that film and helped bring it to fruition. First of all, if somebody wants to – I know you can go online and see the trailer. Yeah. Can you see the film online? Uh, the film is not available online yet, but there are DVDs that are for sale, and we're okay. constantly scheduling showings around the Twin Cities. So following uh, rondobeyondthepavement.org, you can hear the podcast and also get updates on when the film showings are going to be. Great. Great. I love it. Okay. So Angelo and Jasmine. Uh, question for you. As you did this, as you created this documentary, did you, first of all, did you understand what systemic racism was all about before you did it? And, and as a consequence of doing the documentary, what did you learn? Uh, I did understand that systematic racism was a thing. I mean, I, my background, my, uh, par- my uh, grandparents were sociologists. So it's, it's been installed into my mind since a young age on uh, how this type of stuff works. What I necessarily learned uh, is that it's a, it's a continu- it was a continuous theme to uh, break down uh, black neighborhoods, black thriving neighborhoods with business and such. And uh, they owned their houses and to take it down and repurpose it. Uh, that's that what I really, one of the things that I learned. Another thing I learned was 
the old people we were talking to were dope as hell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So hold on a second because we've got a lot of listeners uh, who don't understand what you just said. Okay. There so you- some, there's, they're very interesting old people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I can fra- elaborate off that. The phrase the, and the phrase "old people" is a relative phrase. We can all agree. But go ahead, Jasmine. Um, I think because I'm 19 that I am aware of systemic racism, and I think that's only because I'm at that age. If I was a bit younger, I probably wouldn't. Um, it's just even like the elders and that we interviewed. They were saying that when they were younger, it was just something that they never really understood, but they saw it happening, and that's kind of, like, how systemic racism was for me growing up in the community. Like, even the old area that I grew up in, which was Selby and Dell, it's now, like, completely renovated, and there's, like, (laughs) boutiques and, like... Yep, gentrification. Yeah, lots of gentrification, and there's always that. Um, So, you know, doing this film, it, it kind of, like, it made it easy for me to scope stuff like that out easily. So I can see... You became more aware. Yeah, just like, oh, this community was torn down and it's now like this. There's a reason for it. Right, but but this now like this is not um, black color owned. It's white color owned now. Yeah, exactly. And um, there's... I don't know, it's kind of defeating if you think about it when all of our communities and all of our businesses are always constantly just taken away. Um, it kind of just makes you not want to aim higher. And I feel like there's a, there's a purpose for that, and it really sucks. But I feel like if we can continue to spread this information that we are in this film, people will have happened what happened to me, which is to become aware of these situations. So Right. So and awareness is incredibly important. I mean, this is about educating. And, yes. You know, and um, by the way, I when I talk about color of humans, I make sure that we talk about white color because there are a lot of white colored people that don't believe white is a color. So that's why you hear me <laughs> saying that, even though it is, yes. just like every other color. And, and so... Um, the thing is, though, is that there are a lot of white color humans yes. who are allies, white color humans who want to do the right thing, mm. but they're not aware. They don't understand how the system is rigged. They don't understand how how things have happened. And this film, what I view, I mean, certainly is educating not only people who are part of the black color community, but people of the white color community so they can understand not to do it again. Well, we – well, at our last showing, it was – we had – a predominantly white actually the one that we did at Osberg College I believe it was predominantly white audience okay. and it got pretty heated because we had an activist from the north side of Minneapolis on the panel as well um let's just say she didn't have a problem with saying exactly how she felt um but one thing that really stuck to me is that there was this white woman who I I really appreciated that she did this, but she came up to me after the whole thing was over and she was just like, "Um, I wasn't aware of my white privilege until I was 60. And if I would have known growing up, I would have changed a lot of things about the way that I operated. I would have taught my kids. Mm. And it's just like, that's so crazy that people cannot know their privilege throughout their whole lifespan, you know? Mm. And, you know, the question is, like, what would have been different if all of these people knew their privilege? Well, maybe one thing would have been different. They would have routed it differently. Um, uh, But, but, and, and, but the fact, I mean, what I would say is, at least she, at least she started to get it at age 60. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, and, and, and so tell me this, Okay. Do you consider yourselves, um, Angelo and Jasmine, do you consider yourselves um, idealists, people who want to change the world and work toward it? Oh, definitely. I feel like I want to be a motivational speaker. And um, We should hang with me. (laughs) I would love to. I love radio. I love everything that has to do with, like, just talking about things. But Did, Did the film spark your idealism any any greater. Definitely, because um, 
one of one thing that we we had to figure out because we had a lot of people like who was going to play each role, and so we had to like figure out what was the best system for that. And one of the ideas I had was just putting people in their areas of strength so we could have the best production. And personally, I thought my my area of strength was the interviewing aspect. Um, that's what I just really loved to do was just asking the elders questions and really diving deep. And there were some people who were better at capturing angles than doing that. So. Um, talking to people really, doing that role really helped me identify myself and, like, figure out, oh, I really love connecting with people. I really love having a conversation with people. Um, so that was a sweet realization. Well, that's great, Jasmine. Thank you for that. And the, the whole goal here is for people to excel and people to get the best versions of themselves. Angela, what about you? Do you? Did this project help you learn some stuff about yourself? And do you think that it fed into some kind of idealistic spirit? Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely. I like to see I – see, I definitely do see myself in, as, as an idealist. I uh, like to share my idealist thoughts through my art, which you can also find on Instagram, Angela Bush Photography. <laughs> do it. <laughs> do the plug for sure. And uh, – I lost my thought. Well, no, that's okay. I, so I was asking, did it fuel your idealism? It did fuel my idealism. My my idealism, my idealistic thought has been pretty much the same throughout my life. You know, I just want to see the world better. I just want people to be more understanding. Right. You know, and more... Uh, more thoughtful. Like put put yourself in someone else's shoes before you before before you go forth with your actions. You know. Well, one of the ways I define idealists are people who actually work for that. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, and, and, and the documentary is no question that that is an idealist tool. Mm-hmm. It is, and um, you know, and and I I actually believe that most people are idealistic. You know, but not many get the fever uh-huh. that they're willing to go and do the work. Right. The hard work. Scott, you know about idealism. I do know about idealism. <laughs> Would you like me to expand upon that? Yeah, you've got a, about, about <laughs> 30 seconds to do it. Yeah, I know idealism. I mean, I, I, I left the corporate world over a decade ago. I was you know, leading big sales corporations and uh, sales forces, and I left to focus on a nonprofit because – you know, I, 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 when I was growing up, I did not, I came from humble means. And, and even though I was able to way to work my way up into that, that great ivory castle of the white man's world, I never really fit in. And, uh, for me, it, it has always been, you know, my work is to, to work with people to, to help empower them and educate them and show them a pathway to maybe a pathway to maybe we can, all live with equity and equality, and I mean that. I really so, do. so let me ask a real quick question, which is: yeah. You're a white color person yeah. working with black color students yeah. about a project about a black color yeah. neighborhood. How has that shaped you, and and how did how did that affect you guys um, in any way? I mean, you've got a white color person who's overseeing this. <laughs> you want to go first, Scott? Um, you you know, you go ahead and go first. Yeah. Um, I think. It's always interesting when collaborating with white people on black matters just because you never know if their intentions are correct or not. Uh-huh. Um, but Scott has always been helping us in the school and stuff. You can Nobody's going to put that much effort into something for as little as you probably do get um, and have bad intentions. So it's always been an honor working with him, and we had... We had one other white folk working with us who is Katie, um, and she's amazing as well. She's very humble, and you can tell that she really cares. So, I mean, it's all about the heart at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It's just. Oh, I love that. Okay, all about the heart at the end of the day. How about you, Angelo? How did you feel about having Scott helping? I mean, Scott is Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think there's ever been a time I was, you know, White people pissed at Scott. So okay, well, and you know, and and what do you think, Scott? You know, for me, um, 
I, I do know that 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 is the, always the the elephant that's in the room is is when you're working as a, a white person who um, feels strongly about advocating for for people of color, advocating for women, advocating for the LGBTQ uh, community is uh, you know sometimes white people have a, a tendency to to step in and say you know I really want to help, but then they make it about them. Right. It becomes all about them, and for me. Um, I recognize that. I make it a conscious effort that this is not about me. This is not about my self-aggrandizement. Um, that I have, I have a responsibility as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, blue-eyed white guy. I have a responsibility here to keep my ego out of this and do everything in my power that I can to help lift people up and create a more equitable world. And that's the way I look at it. You know, I think that there's a training in what you just said. Mm-hmm. What's that? I really do. I mean, there's a training about how to interface for white colored people with people of other colors. Yeah. Just about humility. I mean, that's really what you just talked about. And so maybe I'll talk with you about that off off camera, off off radio, off mic. Well, listen, I could talk with the three of you for like all day. I could. And I just want to tell you before we break here, um, I applaud you. I do. Thank you. I just think that you have – from what I've seen about the the film, you've knocked it out of the park. And most of all, thank you – for making a statement mm-hmm. for our community. It is incredibly important and it will live on and it will ripple. It will ripple to many places, to many people in a lot of different ways. So thank you for being on LE 2.0. I've been speaking with uh, Angelo Bush, um, with Jasmine McBride and Scott Harold, all from the High School for the Recording Arts. Thank you so very much for being on LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you. All right, listeners, this has been I, – I hope that you've enjoyed this as much as I have. I'll tell you. Um, and this is what we're all about, bringing voices in, trying to make um, a difference here in the world. That's what idealists do. And so if you like what you hear, visit my website at illykrug.com. Follow me on Twitter at illykrug. We'll be back um, for my C Block um, in a minute. Thanks so very much. Bye. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. At Mother Earth Gardens, we've been selling heirloom and open-pollinated plants for your backyard homestead since 1994. We research our products and we handpick every pot, trellis, and gift. So if you love 50-plus varieties of tomatoes, native planting for pollinators, and a shocking variety of annuals and perennials, make the journey to one of our two locations, South Minneapolis across from the Riverview Theater and Northeast at Stinson and Lowry. Small footprint, surprising selection. MotherEarthGarden.com Turn to Auto Technical with your vehicle donation. We have families waiting for a car. You know, over 85% of unemployed are successful in finding and keeping a job if they have dependable transportation. A car plus a job equals a life changed. 612-919-5526. We have families waiting for a car. 919-5526 or autotech.org. This is Gregory Rich, founder of Habitation Furnishing and Design and host of Drink in the Style every Sunday at 5 p.m. You know, I'm often asked what kind of furniture Habitation offers. Now, I can go two ways with this. I can say something like, Habitation specializes in warm, modern, raw, industrial, and organic contemporary home furnishings. 
but what does that mean? It means that we have some really cool stuff, and that is the answer that usually goes over better. But cool doesn't mean crazy. And I'm proud to say that everything we offer at Habitation is functional and comfortable. The type of furniture that will allow you to express yourself but still works every day. So there it is. Habitation Furnishing and Design, 4317 Excelsior Boulevard in St. Louis Park. It's the Twin Cities' best furniture and design showroom. Back on AM 950. Okay, listen. You know, I've interviewed people a lot on this show. Um, rarely do I ever have three people at the same time, but I am I just super charged by that interview. I've got to tell you, I just – humans, real humans, having them here talk about impact. I love talking about being spurred to change and idealism, you know, and, and, and – and and off air, I just need to repeat: if you want to find more about the uh, the 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 video, the movie Rondo Beyond the Pavement, go to the website rondobeyondthepavement.org, and or go to the podcast. There are podcasts also on that website um, that you can go see um, and listen to for the podcast. So there are all kinds of just wonderful things related to this project. I just got to tell you, it is incredibly, incredibly important um, for us as a community to learn about this, not only learn about it, but to learn from it. Okay, so this is my C block um, where I talk about my work as a practical idealist and encountering the world. And and so um, one thing to remind you is that this show is taped and so um, I am now talking to you the day after Easter and I want to I want to dovetail because we just heard from two younger humans about making the world a better place, and I just want to relate a conversation I had. I have a brother who is married um, with uh, stepchildren living in Ot- Owatonna, and yesterday was Easter, and dinner was down in Owatonna at my brother and sister in law's house, um, and I you know we had a, a good group of people, probably about a dozen people there. I'm very lucky because it's a complete, uh, politically compatible family, although for the most part we do not have very deep conversations. Uh, for the most part, they're pretty, you know, surface related, and that's you know that's the way sometimes it is. So, but at the table yesterday was my brother's 21 year old stepson. Um, again, um, not uh, not many deep conversations with him, although I think he is a deep thinker. But my my brother's 21-year-old stepson um, who had just left a job at a large employer in Owatonna. Um, he left that job to go back to Starbucks where he had been working previously and and he he missed Starbucks. He missed the community there. We just heard about the importance of community in another way um, in the last segment. But um, he was sharing uh, over the dinner table uh, why it was that he had left the large employer in Owatonna. Um, and, he, and related that he had worked very hard there. Um, and he'd even gotten a promotion while he was there um, and learned that factory life um, isn't for him. But interestingly, um, this 21-year-old explained over the dinner table, explained another reason for leaving uh, that employer. And that reason was the culture in the workplace. Now, um, parenthetically, um, you may or may not know that Owatonna has experienced an influx of East Africans over the last 20 years. They've been in and out of the news about that. They've had some issues in the school system adjusting in a variety of ways um, to the influx of black colored people um, into the school system. The community has been adjusting. Um, This has uh, put a lot of East African team members in a variety of different places, including the factory where my brother's 21-year-old stepson had worked until he had quit very recently. And as the 21-year-old explained why he left his factory job, he went on to share that among the things that he heard from white-color team members as he worked in the factory was the sentiment that the 
East Africans were taking the jobs that otherwise would go to local people. That's my phrase. In other words, that those black-colored people were taking the jobs that should be going to white-colored people. You know, and um, so the 21-year-old is relating this and then surprisingly he said something that I didn't expect. He said to me that that intolerant culture in that workplace was a big reason why he left, why he no longer wanted to work there anymore. Now, the 21-year-old never struck me as particularly idealistic. However, um, I don't think that matters. And frankly, I think he probably is much more of an idealist than what I had thought. Because what his comments showed, um, and as we heard from Angelo and Jasmine a few minutes ago, is our young people get this stuff way better than us older people. And what the 21-year-old and what we heard from Jasmine and Angelo a little bit ago is that America has changed. It has. Um, it's not a question of whether we will change. We have changed. It's just that some people don't accept that change. It seems to me that the years of teaching tolerance and acceptance and understanding about different people and cultures, those years, the, at this point, a couple of decades that have been taught in our <clears throat> elementary schools, junior highs and high schools is paying off. And studies show that millennials, um, you know, um, and uh, gen Generation Zs, um, and so the 21-year-old would be a Generation Z person, that they value diversity and inclusion far greater than the boomers and the Gen Xers. And what that 21-year-old, um, his comments reflected to me also is that many employers, including this employer in Owatonna, um, don't get it. They don't understand how the culture, their culture can be corrosive and how it can force out very good people or it can prevent people from even coming because they don't believe that the place will be inclusive or diverse. Very, very important lessons, very important things for us to understand as a country as we go forward. Okay, well, there you go. It's another show in the bag. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Uh, next week is going to be a repeat, unfortunately. I'm on the road trying to change the world and I won't be able to tape a show in, in, in advance. So, But please tune in because I'll try and pick a really good and interesting show from the past. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug on uh, LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950. I need to be a big thanks to my sponsor, Brending Electrolysis over in St. Paul. Contact Bev. Let her know that I recommended you. And by the way, I'm hearing from various businesses that you, my listeners of my show, are coming to them because of AM 950. Very, very important. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you know that you rock. And a big thanks to you, my listeners. Thanks for tuning in. And I will be back to you in May. Take care. Bye-bye.